0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo Del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Pastor Gary Bowman for today's message. Hey, so since you're seated, I think I'm going to be seated too for a little bit today, a little warm. And uh, we are talking about uh, good and angry, and we've been talking a lot about bad and angry as well. And the scriptures tell us really clearly, Paul tells us in Ephesians, to in your anger, do not sin. And so today we're really going to be talking a a, a lot more about this horizontal in our relationships of how we can be angry with someone, with another person, someone close to us, someone that's maybe not as close to us, how we can be good and angry in that relationship. So it's possible, here's the cool thing, it's possible to be angry at someone in a relationship, but be good and angry with them. And uh, we've talked about kind of the essence of of anger is this, this sense of displeasure over something that matters to us. Something that matters to us. And, uh, and, and that creates, there's been something where we go, that's wrong. And that brings me displeasure because it matters to me. So, like, for instance, let's, we're going to talk a lot relationally this morning. So let's just say your wife or your husband, it doesn't really matter, not my wife, your wife. Um, let's say your wife um, says to you one day, honey, I, got a, I have a great idea. And you say, well, what is it, sweetie? Because I have a great idea, too. And she says, my great idea is let's buy a new sofa. And that's really exciting to guys, isn't it, most of the time? And like, so my response would be like, uh, what's the matter with the one we've had? It's worked, served us really well for the last 26, 27 years. You know, it's, it's great for naps. It's just the perfect length, right? And they've come out now with duct tape in different colors. And so it almost matches, right? So I'm like, honey, I don't see any need for us to buy a sofa and spend all that money. In fact... God has told me where we're supposed to spend that money. And this is one of my occupational privileges that I have, is that I can speak authoritatively to my wife. And I, I say to her, honey, God's told me that we need to buy a 72-inch OLED television from Costco this afternoon. Amen? You know, I, I, I hear that, right? And, and so you know where that's going to go at your house, don't you? And You know, big... Uh, no. There's going to be some bad and angry, right? And, and some of us respond by getting quiet and seething and just kind of walking away. But man, you, you can tell the volcanoes inside. Others of us, we start arguing and debating and challenging and getting loud and getting angry. Well, you're, And what do we say? Well, you're always like that. That's what lo- us loud guys do, right? You're always like that. I remember the time that I gave in well, I kind of remember the time I gave in one time, you know, and, and you create these, these caricatures. You're always, you're never, you're, you're always thinking about, you know, and, and this just thing just kind of goes on and on and on, bad and, bad and angry, right? Now, what do we say that, bad, that all anger is about displeasure about something that matters to us? And what we've discovered over the four weeks that we've been studying, one more week next Sunday, um, what we've been discovering is the problem is, is what matters to us. And what matters to us most of the time is, it's really simple, us. That's where we get into trouble. That's where our anger becomes bad and angry because what matters is us. Not only matters to us, but what matters to us is us. It's, it's my convenience or my desire to how we're going to spend this money or my desire where we're going to go on vacation or my, my preference about where we're going to eat tonight. Um, and and, and what, what the problem is, and we talked about this two weeks ago, is that I place myself on the throne, that I'm playing God. And so if you, if you step across the pathway of the almighty me, uh, there's going to be a lot of bad and angry in this situation. And so it's this, this, it's this thought of what matters to us is us. And we need to repent of that. that that's a serious sin. Because there's a sin underneath it. And is that is that I'm playing God. And we need to continually be in repentance and, and fighting against that sin. That any time we're interrupted, any time um, uh, our will is not done. Uh, that we need to repent of that kind of an attitude. And, and that, something I've noticed about my bad and angry, and you've noticed about your bad and angry, is it's almost, I'm, I'm going to say, I think it's almost always destructive. So when April and I are bad, when I'm bad and angry with April, um, in the way that I'm bad and angry with her, I never come away from that, that bad and anger feeling better about her. I never come away from that going, Wow, she is just one heck of a woman. Man, I love her. Instead, I come away feeling, um, feeling like I've, knowing that I've harmed her. Because, because one of the things we want to do when what matters is us is we want to push the other person down so that we can be raised up. And so we've been destructive to that un- other person. We haven't been constructive in any way at all. And so in my anger, I often do sin. And you often sin. And so, how do, what we're going to talk about this morning for just a little bit is how do we redeem our anger? How do we, in, in relationships with each other, husband, wife, parent, child, coworker to coworker, neighbor to neighbor, sibling to sibling, how do we be angry and yet not sin? How do we redeem this, this anger so that it doesn't become destructive? Now I want us to turn in our Bibles to Luke six, and, and I'm sorry if you have a hard time reading, um, we don't want to turn the lights on. it It's not cooler, but it feels cooler with them off, right? They're fluorescent, so they don't create any heat. I understand. Luke chapter six. and and I, I want to talk about the, the I want to think talk about the things that matter to God. Now you say, I thought you were going to talk about relational, yes. And the reason we're going to talk re- relational and about what matters to God is because what we ought to get good and angry about with each other is what matters to God. And I don't know if you know this or not, but, but being, being bad and angry about your kids disturbing your television show doesn't matter a lot to God. I'm not saying God's not interested and involved in that. But that doesn't bring God displeasure or um, um, somebody uh, driving slow in front of you. That doesn't matter. That doesn't bring displeasure to God. So we're not going to talk about those things. In fact, it, it, to show you how, how destructive... Um, uh, bad and angry is. One of, the, one of the fellows in the church was telling me recently that he and his wife and a couple other couples, they went camping up in Julian one week and had a great time camping up in Julian. And on the way home, he had some new tires on his car and he loved his car. He loved going around those curves coming down out of Julian. As he was coming down the, those curves, there was a really slow driver in front of him really slow, and he was trying to pass him, and he couldn't pass him, and he was getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and finally his wife in wisdom said to him, this shows the destructiveness of bad and angry, because he had the right to the road, because he was on the throne, right? He was playing God, and that road belonged to him, and someone was interrupting what he wanted to do, and so finally his wife in wisdom said to him, honey, are you going to let that driver ruin the great weekend we have? See how destructive anger can be? And he, without much wisdom, said back to her, yes, I am. There some, feels something good about bad and angry, isn't there? And it's just so hard to let go of. And what we're going to look at is how do we let go? What helps us to let go of those things that don't really matter to God? And how do we hold on to those things that really do matter to God? So here we are in Luke um, chapter 6, and I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. I'm going to, we're going to start in verse 36, and then we're going to work our way back. So I'm going to tell you the answer, and then we will fill it, kind of backfill it. Um, Luke chapter 6, verse 36. This is Jesus speaking, and here's what he says. Jesus says, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So here's, the, here's what needs to become infused in your displeasure about something that matters to you. Mercy. Just one really simple word. If, if you want to you redeem your relation anger in your relationships, ask the Holy Spirit to hook up on the IV of mercy in your life and drip that, not just drip it, but pour mercy into your displeasure and you, the amazing thing that'll happen is that your anger will turn from destructive to constructive, and mer- God's the mercy of Jesus Christ that He's given to us will begin to begin to permeate the relationships of things that really matter to God and matter between you and your husband, you and your kids, and it'll begin to permeate that displeasure you have something. So, so here, here's here's the definition. Here's the definition of good and anger that we're going to use today. The constructive displeasure of mercy. That mercy, when it enters into our anger or to our um, a displeasure about something that matters to God, that mercy can change our, our anger from uh, destructive to constructive. Now, let's see how that works. Jesus tells us, right in verse 36, to look to your heavenly Father and to be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So you're already a child of God. You don't have to become a child of God. This is for people who are already Christians, who are already believers in God. Because you are a child of God, something fundamentally different happens in you because you have experienced the mercy of God yourself, and you're able to give that mercy to other people. Uh, So go back up, for instance, we'll just look quickly at verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies... Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, I want you to understand that mercy is not saying that something wrong didn't happen. That's that's being apathetic or that's being lazy relationally. The only time you give someone mercy is when they've done something wrong. So that's a prerequisite. And so what mercy does is it looks the wrong right in the eye. And it says that was wrong and it displeases God and it displeases me. This is all an internal, an internal conversation that we're having, having with ourselves. And we, say, and we say, well, how does God treat me? And the way God treats me and the way God treats you is with abundance of mercy. What we deserve for our sinfulness is God's wrath. But instead of giving us His wrath, He gives us something very different, doesn't He? He gives us grace. He gives us mercy. That our our um, uh, rebellion against God deserves... God has every right, because of our rebellion against Him, to, to just to push us off the scene. But instead of that, He draws us into His family. And so this mercy that God has given me he was dis- God is displeased with me for my sin. And it matters to him. My sin matters to God. He is displeased with me, but instead of being destructive with me because of mercy, he is constructive with me and he's redeeming me and he's restoring me and he's transforming me and you, if you're a believer today, into the image of his son. It's a long process, but he looks, God looks the wrong in the eye, and he does something constructive about it. So, so look there again at verse 27. But you are listening, Jesus, says, I say, love your enemies. Now, some of us could get the idea, well, that means my enemies, the people who make me angry, or I say make me angry, I'm just going to stand at the, at the distance and um, n- not be mean to them. That's not what Jesus says. He, what Jesus says is when someone is your enemy, you approach them. Jesus says in in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, he says that your Father in heaven sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He sends the sunshine on the evil and upon the good. So God doesn't stand in heaven and just be indifferent. Well, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to kind of ignore, ignore that person. But no, the, instead he becomes actively involved to reach them by sending the rain and refreshment and healing so they might realize where this gift came from, that it came from him, that it came from our heavenly Father. And so J- Jesus doesn't just say, um, uh, just ignore the wrong." It is a wrong, but instead in his mercy, he does something constructive and he goes to the cross for us. And he dies on our place and we get to be these these recipients of him pouring his mercy into our lives so that now, and then, so therefore now, we can pour that mercy out into other people's lives. Even our, what does he say in verse 27? But to those who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Your enemies. And you know, when you're angry at your wife, you don't classify her as your enemy most of the time. She's still your wife. She's still your husband. He's still your husband. Still your kids. But boy, do we Jesus says, love your enemies. Do, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. When you can do harm, you don't. That's what mercy does. Instead of doing harm, it does good in the relationship. When you could retaliate. And retaliation is the easiest, the most natural reaction in the world. And we retaliate in all kinds of different ways. Some of us retaliate by getting louder. Some of us retaliate by getting quieter. Some of us seethe and smolder. And that's how we retaliate. And so for the next 10 days, every time you say something, that person that's smoldering, they just give you a one-word answer. Yes. No. Well, they're just as angry as the explosive person, right? And they're retaliating in their own way. But mercy helps us to be constructive when there's displeasure instead of destructive. When you could keep reminding them mercy helps us not to be. So there's this wonderfully constructiveness, the mercy of God, the constructive displeasure of mercy for all of us. Now, l- 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 let, me, let, me, let me illustrate now how this works in the Gospels. T- take your Bible and turn to the right uh, over the Gospel of Luke chapter nineteen, over the Gospel of Luke chapter nineteen and i 'm going to tell you a story that Jesus tells that Jesus not only or, excuse me jesus doesn 't tell it Luke tells it, and it 's about Jesus and As you listen to this story, I want you to really to bring this home. I want you to think about your husband or your wife. I want you to think about your parents or your kids. I want you to think about people that occasionally you become bad and angry with. And I want you to realize that sometimes what your husband or wife or whoever it is, they do things, not just they didn't wash your socks right, or they didn't want to go to the same restaurant you wanted. That stuff doesn't matter to God. But they do things wrong that displease God. And I'm going to use one word to describe a whole bunch of different things. But it's, here's the word that sometimes we do to other people. That God, that, 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 that is displeasing to God, that matter to God, we disrespect one another. And this, this is just the, this is the umbrella, okay? Disrespect. We disrespect each other by embarrassing one another in, in a public setting. That, 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 I think that brings displeasure to God. We disrespect each other by poo-pooing the other person's feelings or, or, or ideas. We, can, we have the power with our words and our attitudes and our actions and our eyes you know, a roll of the of the eyes at the right time, you know what that says to the person? You're stupid. You're less than. And that that brings displeasure to God. Even without saying the word stupid, you can bring displeasure to God by disrespecting someone that you love. Or a neighbor that you maybe not don't love, but you have a neighborly relationship or a coworker that, that and, I, and i think of I think of arguments that April and I have had you know they 've been about um, how to discipline the kids. she sees it one way and I see it another way and that's surprising that 's not surprising is it that we see things differently. We were raised in two very different families, but when I belittle her what However, I belittle her, whether it's with my eyes or with my words, and make her feel less. That angers God. That brings displeasure because because my wife April is a is a is a a, a creation of God, and just because we disagree about the way we raise kids, my my bad and angry is never there. And that's when I roll my my eyes at my wife or my kids. That's destructive. They don't go away from that going, wow, boy, Dad, I love Dad all the more. That distances us from each other, doesn't it? And that's the last thing any of us want to do is distance ourselves from each other. But our bad and angry does that very thing in relationships. And, you know, um, and I'm going to talk a little more about marriage than we usually do. But I hope you can generalize this. But, you know, when, when April and I married, we took a vow we made a solemn promise before God and in front of all the people that were gathered there. And we said that we would love and respect and be faithful to each other. And when I'm not, that displeases God. That's destructive. And it's because I don't have any. Mer- because, see, I'm on the throne, and what matters to me is what matters i got to repent of that kind of an attitude. I, I sh, and what I should receive from the Lord for those sins is His active displeasure, but in His mercy, what does He do to me? He, he's, he, when I come in and repent, He just brings me back in the family, and He just changes me, and He's changing me over and over and over and over again from the inside out. So I want you to think about some relationships that you have that are difficult and and. You know, and our natural reaction is to be retaliatory retaliatory. That's our that's the go-to. And we all know ways to harm people. We all know. So I want you to watch the construct let's stick that back up again if you would, Tracy. Thank you so much. The constructive displeasure of mercy. So there's this there's this man and I I don't know. I'm going to suggest to you this morning that he was married. Now, the reason I think he was probably married, two reasons. Number one, he was a man, and men like to get married. And secondly, he was the richest man in that town. By far, the richest man. And there are some women, not my wife, who are attracted to very wealthy men. That's who they want to be be around. It doesn't matter what their personality is like or what their looks are like or whatever it is. They just want to be around really wealthy men. And so I'm thinking there was someone in this town that had that attitude. And so she probably married to this man. And let me tell you, this guy was incredibly wealthy. And I'm thinking, because this happens to almost all of us. Maybe late in the middle in the night and you couldn't sleep, maybe it was eighty eight degrees or something one night. In the town he lived in, it was super hot. It's super hot. It's a desert. And I wonder if in the middle of the night, one night, he woke up, like we wake up, and his mind began to go places that he didn't want it to go. Happens to all of us. And he began to think about how he had acquired his wealth. He's living in the lap of luxury in this town. Biggest house, fanciest cars. He's got everything. And I wonder if he began to think about how he had gathered his wealth. And if he began to think, we stole this money from the people of this town. The reason we're living in this house with these servants and with these and this and this and that is because we have ripped people off in this town. Now, you know, and when my th- thoughts like that come into my mind, I like jump out of bed and go get a glass of water or go get a whatever, and and try to get them out of there, right? Because you don't want to go there very long. But you know, this guy is a Jew. He was raised in a Jewish family and went to synagogue, went to church, went to to temple, and all of that. And I, so I'm imagining his wife is. I don't know if she is or not, but I'm imagining she is. And so. A couple of weeks later, they're, they're, she, she's laying in bed, or he's laying in bed, and there, and these thoughts come again. We've screwed people over. We've really, harmed. and because they're good Jew, because they're Jewish, they know the commandments, like thou shalt not covet, and like the commandment thou shalt not steal, right? And they know those things. And and and, and, if, and if he gave it enough time, he's thinking. I bet God is angry at me. I bet God is displeased with the way I've acquired this wealth. But he couldn't keep thinking that, right? So he jumps out of bed and goes to get a glass of wine and gets busy doing something, some more business deals or whatever he's going to do because he doesn't want to think that way. But then something really curious happened. And a lot of times something curious happens, doesn't it? He heard that a... Man by the name of Jesus was going to be coming through his town. Walking right through the main street of his town. He's heading up the hill up to Jerusalem. 12, 15 miles up the hill. Steep hill. And Jesus is going to be coming through the town. And so um, he's curious about this Jesus. And we don't know why he was curious about this Jesus. I think the Holy Spirit was working in this guy's life. He was wrong. He was a scoundrel. You know, whenever this guy would go out in public, I think... Uh, people would call him names. Kids would throw rocks at him. He was the most hated. He was the wealthiest scoundrel in town, and he was the most hated scoundrel in town. Because his job was a tax collector, and he was not collecting taxes for other Jews. He was collecting taxes from Jews for the occupying Romans. And so, if the tax was, uh, he went over to Matt's house and said, "Matt, the, your tax is a hundred dollars." Um, If that's what the Romans wanted for Matt's house for his taxes, this guy would collect $300 and give $100 to the Romans and then put $200 in his pockets. And he did this to every single person there in the town of Jericho where he lived. He was the most hated. And they knew he was doing it. How else did he get so rich? He was ripping everybody off in the town. He was wrong and you know, the wrong that he did displeased God, didn't it? Because he was disrespecting everybody in that town. So anytime he'd go out in the town, people would react to him, respond to him. Well, he hears that Jesus is coming to town, and he wanders out into the town. And I forgot to tell you this, but he's a little bit shorter of stature. And so he kind of comes up to the crowd, and apparently Jesus is coming by. But nobody's going to make room for a scoundrel, are they? <laughs> nobody's going to go, yeah, yeah, come on in here, you jerk. Get right up in front. There you are going to block him off. They're going to get wider rather than narrower. And so this guy did something really interesting. He ran ahead and he climbed up into a tree. And I think he climbed up into that tree for a couple of reasons. One, so that he could see Jesus. Two, so that he wouldn't be seen by Jesus or any of the people of the town. He's the most hated man in town. And I don't think he wants Jesus to see him. He wants to see Jesus. I might be wrong on this. That's okay. He wants to see Jesus, but he doesn't want Jesus to see him. It's kind of like when you go out backpacking. You want to see a bear, but you don't want the bear to see you, right? He wants to see Jesus, but he didn't want Jesus to see him. So he gets up into this tree. He's covered with leaves, and if the people of town see him, how how are they going to mock? Grown men don't climb trees, right? So he's up in this tree, and Jesus comes along. Look at verse uh, 5, Luke 19. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, that's his name. And you know what his name means? This is is curious. Clean or pure. And he's anything but. Jesus looked up to him. How did Jesus know he was there? He says he came to that the spot. He said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, if I were Jesus, and you should be really glad that I'm not, I would have shot lightning bolts into that tree. Because this guy is a sinful scoundrel who's ripped everybody. I would have done it in front of all of the crowd that was there. And let him fry right there in the tree. Jesus is angry at this guy. He is good and angry at this guy. This guy has brought him displeasure. But what does he do? Is he, he allows mercy to get mixed in with his displeasure. And the relationship becomes constructive. And this is exactly what we need to do in those places in our lives. Where we have conflict with each other over things that matter to God. Over disrespect. Over making someone else feel like a fool. Over abuse when there's whenever there's abuse whenever there's someone who can't speak for themselves we we need to be good and angry but it needs to be this constructive displeasure that's driven by mercy to see the person restored see jesus could have wiped this guy out but because of mercy he wants to see this guy made new again he wants to see salvation come to this man he wants to see this man healed. This man is on a self-destructive course. And Jesus wants to do everything he can to make sure he doesn't destroy himself. But it's said that he's restored. This guy's going to get a knife in the back one of these nights. If he keeps living like this. He's going to destroy everything in his life. Oh, he's going to have a lot of money. There's going to be nobody at his funeral when he dies and goes straight to hell. Oh, his wife might be there and he'll have his most expensive casket. But nobody will be there. And so Jesus won't allow him in his recklessness to continue down this path. And so this constructive displeasure of mercy. And and so look what, look what, something happens inside of Zacchaeus, verse 6. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. The Holy Spirit is working here, right? This Zacchaeus, he knows he's a scoundrel. He's thought about it in the middle of the night a hundred times. But suddenly he realizes that in in Jesus' mercy that there's something different about him. And he says, come into into my house. And all of the people saw this. Excuse me. All the people saw this. And they began to mutter, he's gone to the guest of a sinner. He's the worst sinner in the town. That's exactly why I'm going there, Jesus says, in my mercy. To the worst sinner in town. Now, I think between verses 7 and 8, I think there's a conversation. I'm not sure, but I think there's a conversation. And I think the conversation went something like this. Zacchaeus, you got a pretty nice house here. What do you do for a living? Jesus knew. You're a tax collector. Oh, you, you collect the proper amount for everybody? Yeah, well, not everybody. Do you collect the proper amount from anybody? Not really. So you're you're living the lap of luxury because you've ripped all you've stolen from all of these people. Yeah, I guess you know you could call it, call it stealing. Now, he's expecting he's expecting the condemnation and the harshness, right? He's expecting bad and angry from Jesus, but instead Jesus gives him good and angry, and in His mercy says to him, Zacchaeus. Don't keep going this way. Let's talk about this. Let's figure this out together. Let's have a conversation. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay the night with you. I'm going to hang. I'm going to be patient with you. Zacchaeus, what's driving this? What's the need that drives you to, to, to harm people? so that you can have luxury. What is that inside of you? What's broken? I want to help to bring healing and restoration. And in his mercy, Jesus has this, I think, a conversation with him. And look at Zacchaeus' response to what I think it was a conversation. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, behold, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. And Jesus said to them, "Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For I have come to seek and to save the lost. I've come to bring in my mercy to bring restoring and healing in relationships. And this is how Jesus wants us to be in our relationships. When we could be retaliatory, instead of being, instead of being merciful when we could be harsh we have conversations say you know when when that happened when you rolled your eyes at me honey i know you love me but it made me feel about that big oh. see that's that's being merciful you say, you idiots, you make me feel so little. See, that's Saul throwing spirit. That's us becoming Saul, right? But instead, in the, the constructive displeasure of mercy, empowered by the mercy that God's already given us, we seek to restore instead of tear down. We seek to redeem instead of break into smaller pieces. We, we seek healing instead of heaping on more damage. And my prayer for me and my prayer for you is you wouldn't be fearful of being good and angry. Not about a slow driver or what restaurant to go to, but about the things that matter to God. When people are disrespected or they're silenced or they're abused or belittled, I pray you wouldn't be afraid to, to serve, in the, serve that other person in the constructive displeasure of mercy, the mercy you've received and I've received from Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. You didn't come to us with harshness and retaliation, And meanness. Even though that's what we deserve. Because of our sin. But in your mercy. You've come. in reconstructing our lives. And going to the cross. And paying the price. That we might be transformed. From the inside out. Into the image of your son. And Jesus I pray for. My relationship with my wife and my kids and grandkids and parents and neighbors and friends and. Jesus, where it's so easy for me to not be merciful and it feels so good sometimes to be to retaliate. And to pay back. But then instead I would be. And that we would be more and more like Jesus, full of him. Motivated and driven and fueled by the grace that he gives us. That in mercy. Those things that displease you and displease us. That we could have good conversations about them. And we could communicate how much we're still with that person. Even though they've hurt us. That they might be they too might be rescued from the recklessness of their lives. There might be growth and restoration. That Jesus change us. By your mercy, may we be merciful. In Jesus' name, amen.